So this morning we are continuing our time in the Psalms. I don't know about you, but it's been, uh, it's been really fun to study the Psalms. Uh, and I hope that you're tracking along, that you're continuing to read beyond just our time on Sunday morning to, to see how David and the other writers are expressing their emotions. And so um, last week um, we talked about fear. And so today we're going to see how David handles anger, anger that's expressed towards him and his own frustration, his own anger. Uh, but I want to draw your attention to, uh, to Psalms 4. And so the, the Psalms, I told you first week, are separated into five different books. Uh, and those, the first book is from uh, Psalm 1 to Psalm 41. And the primary uh, objective of the first book is to communicate uh, that there is a king. David is expressing all, this, all these emotions regarding his kingly nature. And so Psalms 4 is going, to, uh, is going to hit on that. And it's also going to bring us back to Psalms 1 about meditating day and night on God's word. And so uh, Psalms 4 is actually an evening prayer. Psalms 3 and 5 are a morning prayer. And so not even just in saying meditate on the, the word day and night, he's actually recording his prayers in the Psalms that he prays in the morning and then when he prays at night. That's really awesome. This is I can actually track through the day of what he's expressing, right? Uh, and so he says, I, I lay down and sleep in Psalms 4, right? I have peace because God is with me. So what we're going to see today is, is that Psalms 4 is going to call us to come to him, to trust him, and to rest in him. And so we're going to see how David does that in response to anger. And so I told you last week, uh, that's, or actually every week, first week, second week, this week, that many of the Psalms have intricate places in the narrative. Last week I said they're not really a direct association, but we can draw some allusions to other places. And so Psalms 4 is the same. So um, I'll tell you where I'm seeing the narrative play out. And what David is going to tell you in the Psalms is, these men are coming against me. Um, and so you can imagine just the story of David's life. There's any number of men that you can say are coming against David. But I want to point you to, to a particular family that comes against David in some pretty particular ways that he's consistently having to deal with. It's the sons of Zariah. The sons of Zariah are his, his, Joab and Abishai and Ashael are actually his generals. They're mighty men in his army, and so they have a position of rank. Uh, they're pretty important, and yet David seems to express his frustration with them throughout 2 Samuel. And so the first one comes with um, Abner. Abner is the general of Saul. 2 Samuel 2 tells this story about how Abner sees God moving the kingdom from Saul to David. And he's taking note of what's happening in the, in the lives of Israel. And he's saying, you know what? If I continue to fight this, God's just going to continue to move this closer and closer to David. 
and I'm going to be on the losing side of that because God is with him. So I'm going to shift. And so Abner comes, he sends a note to, to David and says, hey, can we reconcile? Can we actually work this out? And so Abner comes to the palace with King David and, and they, they work it out. They make a mutual agreement and Abner leaves. But Joab sees Abner leaving and he comes to David and he's like, hey, David, what are you doing? Why are you consorting with this man? He's just going to come in and take all of our stuff. He's actually trying to spy on the land. And David's like, no, 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 we, we worked out an agreement. This is, this is gonna be fine. And so Joab, Joab leaves, he, he tracks down uh, Abner. He calls him back into the city and he murders him. As David is mourning Abner, he says this, 2 Samuel 3, 38 and 39. Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I was gentle today, though anointed king. These men, the sons of Zariah, are more severe than I. The Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. And so David's saying, why, why would you go against what I say? I'm the king, and I'm more generous and gracious than even you are. Don't you realize that I have the authority to say who should, who should die and who shouldn't? And so the story goes on, and Absalom revolts against his father, right? And it comes time for David's army and Absalom's army to, to fight. And as David sends out his men, Joab, leaders, uh, and Abishai, he says to them, he says, in front of all the men, he says, please don't kill my son, please don't kill him. And so the battle begins. And the first thing that happens is Absalom gets his thick mane caught in an oak tree and he's just hanging there. And one of David's men says, oh, I, I saw him, um, but I, I didn't kill him. He says to Joab, I'm not gonna kill him. There's, there's no reason for that. Uh, and Joab says, what? I, I would have given you 10 pieces of silver if you would have killed him. And the man replies, no, if you'd given me a thousand pieces of silver, I wouldn't have killed him. Didn't you hear the king say, don't kill his son? And he's just hanging there. He's not going to do anything to me. In fact, if I had killed him, you would have given me that money and then you would have turned me over to David. You would have been the first to leave me there in front of David and say, hey, he's the one that killed him, not me. And Joab responds, this is his response, 2 Samuel 18, 14. Joab said, I will not waste time like this with you. And he took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. This man is full of murderous rage, right? Like, why would you, why would you kill him? Not only did King David, King David ask you not to kill his son, but he's hanging there and you thrust three javelins into him? And so these are the men that David is living with. Not only living with, but he's actually actively working with. And so the last example I'll give you regarding the sons of Zariah is with Shammai. Shammai is the man who cursed God, right? Or cursed, cursed David. He comes up and he says, uh, may, may, you, may your kingdom fall with all the blood that you shed over the Benjaminites. And he's throwing rocks and hurling curses at David. And so uh, eventually David comes back to be enthroned, 
right? Uh, he's, Absalom's gone, the revolt is over, and David is sitting in his place, and, and Shammai's name comes up again. And Joab and Abishai say to David, hey, remember that guy hurling curses? Well, it's time to pay him back. Let's kill him. And David says, the day that everything calms down, this is what he says, what, I, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? that you should this day be an adversary to me. Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? Why, why am I actually expressing more grace than you? And yet, this man is the one cursing me. So David is, is, is going to, through, through Psalm 4, express his frustration, not with men that he does not know, but with men who are exalted in his own rank, in his own system. And I'm sure it's not just these men, right? This is a common thing that's happening throughout life. We all know people who are just kind of like against us in something that we're moving towards, right? And it's not true. It's the same for David, actually. And so uh, we're going to do the same thing we've done through our pattern. I'm going to invite uh, Mr. Tim Jackson up, and he's going to read Psalm 4. And so I, what I want you to do is just kind of to, to slow down and, and listen to how, how David responds uh, to this frustration and to, uh, to the Lord. Mr. Jackson, Psalm 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But now that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself, the Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I'll both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Mm. Amen. Thank you, sir. I don't know about you, but it's, it's always good for me just to slow down and listen to the words. And so today, what, what I'm going to do is we're going to walk through Psalm 4. And what I want you to see is how David is responding to anger, what he's doing with it. But mostly that he is expressing his frustration and his anger to God and to others. So how does he express it to God? How many of you dare start a prayer with, answer me when I call? I would classify that as boldness or stupidity, right? I think it's boldness though. It's the same way that in my house when one of my kids hits the other kid, the other kid comes to me with a sense of boldness, dad you need to go and take out vengeance on that guy, right? He hit me. 
And I'm thinking, yeah, you got, you got a right to, to come and say, right? It's a, it's a boldness before the Lord. But do you, do you really pray like that? Answer me when I call you. So he comes in boldness. And then he comes and he says, oh, God of my righteousness. It's loving affectionate. This isn't about me performing before you, God. I actually understand that you hold the righteousness that I need in order to be in relationship with you. And so he comes boldly and yet humbly before the throne of God to petition something that is on his heart to present to the Lord. And then he says, you have given me relief when I was in distress, he comes with a sense of confidence that God is not only going to hear him, but that God is going to move on his behalf in order to deal with the distress that David is currently experiencing. And so David, his whole life is lived out in distress, right? And so this word is actually, is actually defined as tight place. The word distress is defined as tight place or opponent. And I would say that throughout David's life, he's very familiar with being in tight places where Saul is at the, at the uh, door of the cave about to find him, and yet God's hand moves Saul away from him, right? Remember that story? He's hiding, Saul's almost on him, and a messenger comes and says, Saul, hey, uh, we've actually got to go fight a different war that's more important and more pressing than David. Saul has to leave. And then, of course, the opponent is Goliath. That's actually all of his opponents. And yet, David has seen uh, the Lord's hand move again and again and again and again. And, and it's, it's David in this moment calling upon the Lord saying, I'm not just hopeful. My life's experience is that you move when I'm in distress. And so I'm going to remember that right now. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant of loving devotion for thousands of generations on those who love him and keep his commands. David's confidence isn't just in what God is going to do or what God has done, but in God's faithfulness towards man, right? Towards those who love and serve him. And so, this boldness, this, uh, this sense of humility towards God and him being his righteousness and this confidence is exactly what I told you in the first week of uh, Psalms 1, that David, is, David is, is knowing I'm a blessed man because of God and his presence in my life. And so David works himself towards a position of receiving from the Lord and presenting his problem towards him. David humbles himself, but the first thing that he does, the very first thing that he does is he takes his words to God, and that is important. Because he has to express his distress to God, and that's what he starts doing in, in verse 2. He starts lamenting the men that he deals with. Christian Standard Version reads like this. Of verse two, it says, how long, exalted ones, 
will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? These men are of, of rank. They have power in Israel, and yet they stand opposed to the king. Other translations say they dishonor the king, they love delusions, and they seek after false gods. You remember our whole series on the judges, the book of Judges? How there was a consistent message flowing through there? That men continued to do evil in the sight of the Lord? They just couldn't keep themselves from it. And even now, God has established a king, a righteous king, right? One who is, who is set on following the Lord. And the men of Israel just can't get away from expressing their own prideful desires, right? First Peter 2, 1 through 3 says... So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. David's walking with these men and he's already expressed, I have tasted God's goodness. What in the world is wrong with you guys? Why do I have to stand here and, and hear these, these remarks, this, this dishonoring of, of what I'm doing and tr how I'm trying to lead the nation? And not only that, but you want to pursue false gods? You want to pursue lies? You want to pursue delusions? Jesus says similar words. How, Lord, how long do I have to put up with this wicked generation, right? So David is actually lamenting the maturity of the men around him and saying, man, there's something better for you guys than to, than to want to, uh, to chase after silly myths, to chase after things that, that God isn't doing or God isn't a part of. But here's the thing. God's more patient than David, right? And thank goodness for his patience because I need his patience, right? I actually, in my own immaturity, need God to wait on me to get there. But how much better would it be if I just kept pursuing the Lord, kept moving closer to him instead of making my own way? And so David is lamenting. He's calling out to God and saying, God, how, how much longer? It's actually a, a phrase that is used throughout the Psalms and in Revelation. How long do we have to put up with this? In Revelation, it's the martyrs. How long do we have to wait for you to pour out your vengeance? I will always tell you that if someone gives you a time frame on when the Lord comes back, you should take them and throw them out of your life, right? It's just not, that's not how it works. But I can tell you when he's gonna come back. See what I just did there? 
He's going to come back when he gets what he wants out of creation. When he gets his bride, when he gets a mature bride that is, that is come and ready for the wedding day, that is a whole heart set towards him. Do you know that you can invest in that? Not just in yourself, but in, in others. That you too can lament for other people. God, can you, can you do a work in my friend, in the people that I work with? And can you use me to help them maturing and know you more? You think about it like that? Do you think about your quickening the day that the Lord comes, the more that you make disciples, the more that you invest in other people, the more that you cry out to God, can you do something on their behalf? I think we just end up frustrated that someone is causing us a problem, right? But David continues and he, he laments and then he, he hopes for their repentance. He continues in verse four, he says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. This word anger uh, means tremble, to stand in awe, to quake. You've seen people so mad that they're shaking, right? So mad that they're shaking. I actually remember a time that I was so angry with my sister. I don't remember why, but I remember expressly my dad looking me in the eyes and saying, you're so mad you can't see straight. It's like, fine, it doesn't matter. I'm this angry, right? Be angry. Doesn't say don't be angry. God's not discounting your anger or your emotion. What he wants you to do is to be able to express it, right? Be angry. I'm not discounting the brokenness, the hurt, or the pain that you experience. It's okay for you to be angry. It's actually godly for you to be angry. Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. That's in the Bible? Yeah. Mark 3, 1 through 5. Jesus is at the synagogue on a Sunday, and he approaches a man with a withered hand. And the Pharisees are there, and they're watching Jesus, and they're there to see is he going to heal this man on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, verse 3 through 5. He said to the man with a withered hand, come here. And he said to them, the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and he was restored. Even Jesus is expressing anger. Expressing anger that, uh, of things that don't line up with his will or his way. A discomfort over, man, this, the path that you're on is not leading towards godliness or restoration or reconciliation. And that's just going to go poorly for you. Be angry, but don't sin. Be angry, 
but don't let your sin turn into action. Be angry, but don't turn your sin into violence. Don't let your anger become violence. And that becomes expanded when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that it's not just that you don't actually murder a man, but that you hate him in your own heart, right? So it's not just about outward action. It's about me coming to a place where I've made a definitive statement in my heart. No, I am against this person, this thing. Be angry. Don't dishonor the king. Don't love delusions. Don't seek after false gods. Paul quotes this verbatim in the New Testament, Ephesians 4, 25 through 27. says, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no room for the devil. Paul is talking about in chapters four, the body of Christ being unified together in this newness of life that, he, that we are called and able to lay down our old flesh and pick up a new spirit, to put on a new spirit that we are to carry through life. And it is that new spirit that allows us to interact in new and different ways with other people. It actually allows us to love other people in ways that we can't otherwise. Paul goes on, Ephesians 29, 31 and 32, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. So how do we reconcile that? Be angry, but don't be angry. Be angry, but let slander go. What Paul is saying don't let your anger move you to action. And when your action comes, it should be filled with these things. Your speech should be gracious. Your speech should be truthful, should be loving, unifying, gracious, and edifying. But again, it doesn't discount the anger towards the brokenness of the world. Jesus does this. In relationship to the Pharisees, Matthew chapter 23 says, the whole chapter is just berating the Pharisees. Chapter 23, verse 33. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Is that, is that loving? Is that gracious, edifying, unifying? 
He goes on a few verses later, he says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Both of them are broods, right? One's a brood of viper, but he's calling them to be in the clutches of safety under God's wings. Why is he saying that? He says it to them because they think they know better than God. They actually, think, actually say, if, if we had lived during the times of the prophets, we wouldn't have put them to death. We would have done it better than our fathers. And yet, they're on the doorstep of putting him to death, right? So instead of letting our anger take us towards action, this is what David says we should do with our anger. The rest of chapter, of verse four and five, he says, ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. The the McCarter Southern version of that is get on your bed and shut your mouth and think about what he did for you, right? So instead of going out and just verbally vomiting on everyone and everything that's out there based on what I think, maybe instead what I should do is call it a day and move towards my bed and just be silent to meditate on what God has done and is doing in the world. Be angry, don't sin but lay down and ponder the mission of God that is ahead of us. And then let it bring you to the worship of him. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Slow down. Remember God, that he's present that he's active. Psalm 77, 6, 11 through 12. At night I remember my song in my heart. I mused and my spirit pondered. I will remember the works of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will reflect on all you have done and ponder your mighty deeds. How often do you think about the Exodus? Or how often are you consumed with the current climate of anything in our culture? Which one dominates your thoughts? When you lay down at night, do you open up YouTube or the news app or a Facebook feed and scroll through to see what's happening? Or do you lay down and turn on scripture to remember all that God has done to bring us to this point? Slow down, remember what God has done, and then. 
Psalms 51, 51, 15 through 17. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. That's what he's wanting from me. It's for me to to humbly come before him and say, God, I need you to do something in me rather than in other people, right? David is actually calling these men to express self-control by his spirit, and that's what's happening today, is that the church needs self-control to wait on him and to listen to what he's doing and to let it lead our hearts back to him instead of fixing the world. Say that the greatest adversary that I've had in my lifetime is my sister. Uh, From the day that she was born, uh, there was this sense of everything is wrong in the world And I have told the youth group explicit detail about how my sister was wrong for many, a couple decades, let's say. Uh, And yet, the Lord started to grab my attention. I can't tell you, there's many stories that I could tell you that are somewhat funny, maybe disturbing, but I'll skip that step. The Lord started to to grab my heart and he was coming after me in some pretty radical ways. And I told you about Harvey, the guy that lived with me for a little while. And uh, he started to tell me that I had a broken relationship with my sister. And I looked at him and I said, you don't know what you're talking about. You haven't talked to your brother in many years, right? Like who are you to tell me what I should be doing? And then he recruited my mom to come after me as well. And so my mom and Harvey kind of hemmed me in and they were saying, hey, you've got to do something about this. Like you've got to, you've got to fix your relationship with your sister. My relationship with my sister was so bad that I would go home and I would visit my family and I would spend two or three days there and I would pass my sister, but we wouldn't actually talk. There was no communication telling you that's, That's not angry, that's hate, right? That's not anywhere close to love or unity or gracious speech. That's total brokenness, right? So shortly after that, thinking about it now, it's God orchestrating all of this in our lives. My sister, uh, for very good reason, needed to move into my home. And it was bad enough when we lived in my parents' home, right? but now she's going to live under my roof where I control all things. This could go very poorly, right? But the Lord kept pressing. And I remember I was was driving for work one day and I pulled up to a stop sign in the middle of nowhere in South Carolina. 
I was listening to a sermon. It, I wasn't actually hearing the words, but I just broke down at the stop sign. Snot. Uh, it's just a complete, I don't know how to do this, God, but I understand that something has to change. That night I went home, sitting in my living room, and my sister walks in the back door. And I didn't know, I still didn't know what to do. Still hadn't figured it out, but I didn't want to do it. I still didn't want to do it. I knew that something needed to happen, but I didn't know what to do. And so I got up and I went to my room and I closed the door. Uh, it was like six o'clock, turned the lights off. I'm just going to disappear into my bed, right? Uh, a little bit later, she comes knocking on the door. Hey, are you okay? No. What's wrong? I actually can't say the words. I didn't say anything. I was just a mess, right? I did not formulate these words in my throat or mouth, but what came out was, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Because my anger had turned into hate. My anger said, you don't deserve God's forgiveness, nor mine. Nothing is further from the truth, right? That's not how God is towards us. Be angry, but don't sin. Be angry, but don't move towards violence. Be angry and bring that anger to the Lord and call upon him to do something in your life and in the life of others. To partner with God on his mission for his purposes and to bring us to worshiping him. Finally, David does exactly that. He says, in his heart, you have put more joy than they have when their grain and wine abound. I have more joy than when they have every material blessing that they need. These men, when things look like they're going well for them, when they're pursuing dishonoring, when they're pursuing this path of seeking after false gods and loving delusions, I've got more joy than anything they can have or express. Verse eight, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone make me dwell in safety. So David comes boldly before the throne, confident of what God is going to do and says, God, can you help me with this situation? This is really frustrating and causing me to really want to do harm to these men, to get away from this, to fix the solution. And yet he says, I'm, I'm going to be quiet before you and remember you instead. And this is the result, is that he moves towards worship. So how does this look in our daily lives? How does this, how does this play out? What does Psalms 4 teach us about expressing our anger and our frustration and how we deal with other people. So the first thing is, 
David expresses his anger towards God. David is clearly expressing himself to God and frustrated. And that's the appropriate reaction. Go to God with every emotion. That's what we said. We want all of our emotions to drive us to God instead of away, right? And that that's what the Psalms are going to teach us to do. Number two, with others. Matthew 5, 21 and 22 say this. It says, you have heard that it said to the ancients, do not murder, and anyone who murders is subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anyone, and again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be subject to the fire of hell. And so, if you're coming to offer a sacrifice, and you know that you have this thing against your neighbor, your brother, what are you to do? Go and reconcile with him before you even come close to offering a sacrifice to God. Make sure that anything that I have in my heart or said against another person is dealt with before I come to God. This anger that allows you to say, you fool, is anger that fails to realize God's grace in your life. Fails to see myself as someone who has benefited and needed, desperately needed God's grace to transform me and my heart. Because when I can't see that for myself, when I think that I've got it together, it's easy to look out on other people and go, man, what's wrong with you? But when I realize that I need his grace, I'm a product of his grace and grace alone, and I'm free to not look at others and say, you fool. And the last one is with the world. With the world. You may or may not have noticed it, but it seems like our culture and society is actually worldwide is just going to hell, you know? And a lot of us are angry about it. What's, why is this happening? What, what is going on? Why, why, does, why is this the direction of our nation? Why is this the direction of what is happening in our community? I would really prefer it if we could not go down these paths. Draw your attention to verse three, Psalms four. Psalms two, he says, how long do I have to deal with this? And a lot of you are currently saying, how long are we gonna have to deal with this, right? But he says, David says, verse three, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. It's actually a threat. God has actually already set me aside for himself. 
He's declared me righteous. Remember verse one? Chris, you can go ahead and come on. He set me aside and he hears when I call. And so this is what happens. If you come to me in your anger and I cry out to God, guess who you actually have to deal with? Isn't me. It's actually, you're gonna have to one day meet him. Romans 12, 14 through 19 says this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. When I look on culture and I say, man, you guys all got it wrong. It's the same thing. I fail to see the grace in, in, in God's grace in my life. And what that does is it, it creates a scenario that's me versus you or us versus them. And that's not, that's not the reality of the circumstance we're in, right? It's actually the, the truth about where we are as humans in God's narrative and his salvation plan is that it's all of us together Believer, non-believer, we are all in need of him. It's not us versus them. It's we together need him. And what God is doing is he's asking us to lay down our lives and our anger and come to him and worship and then partner with him in his purpose to go out and spread his name so that others would come to him, so that others would be able to let go of their anger and come to him. And if that's not enough, then one day that those stand against God, he's going to deal with it. I don't need to take out my anger on anyone else. I don't need to express that to them. I can bring it to him and let him deal with it in his time frame because, you know, he is God, right? And he knows better than us. So my, my prayer today is that, is that we would, like David, be, be bold to come to him, that we would be confident in what he has done and what he is going to do, and that we would be grounded in his giving of his righteousness to us, that that would shape the way that we interact with others with our families, with our spouses, with those in our community and those in our world and would give us peace. That we would come to him, 
trust him and rest in him to really be able to say verse 8 Lord you cause me to lay down and sleep so we're going to do a little bit of worship be some prayer team members over here don't discount your emotions deal with them come to him offering receptacles and you can join in taking communion as you respond to him today let me give you two bits of homework this week read the psalms the second one is this this is how you'll know if you're processing anger with the lord think in your head not out loud who is the person that rubs you the wrong way the most go to them And in gracious, loving, edifying speech, love on them with Christ's love in you and see how you do. You trust in the Lord or you just, I can't do that, right? Try it out. It's fun. I promise you it will be fun because the Lord will meet you there. Uh, we don't officially end till 1230, so stick around, help us out, uh, tear down uh, the teardown team. Uh, we will, uh, if you are having trouble finding uh, a meal, food, uh, we would love to help you out with that. Find a staff member, come to the info table. Uh, thank you so much for being here this week with us. Uh, looking forward to a new season. Uh, and we'll see you next week.